I started this series by actually preaching from John 20 because this is, this is the, one of the few books in Scripture that tells you its purpose in the book. In John 20, 31, John writes, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John has written his gospel so that those who are reading this gospel would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, that he is God himself, and that by believing these things, believing in his name, you might have life. That's the backdrop, and I, and I compared it to that it, it, in every passage we read, in every, and, and we'll, we'll be doing chunks in every chapter, in, in the background is this passage. That as you're reading each passage, this should be in the background, kind of like from the Jaws movie, the, the, the two notes, da-da-da, that you knew a shark was coming. That is... That's behind every passage. So when you're reading this, I want you to hear the shark music. And think of John 20, 31, because that's what's behind this. And that's what we'll see this morning. And so we're going to continue on in this masterpiece of, of a gospel. Martin Luther, interestingly, wrote of the gospel of John. He said, should a tyrant succeed in destroying the holy scriptures... Should a tyrant succeed in destroying the Holy Scriptures and only a single copy of the epistle to the Romans and the gospel according to John escape him, Christianity would be saved. That's how powerful Luther saw the gospel of John. That you could destroy every book of the Bible, but if you got left with Romans and the gospel of John, Christianity would would be saved. Christianity would go on because all you needed to know about God and Jesus Christ would be in that, those two books alone. And we are in one of those books. Now, the structure of John's gospel, by way of reminder, is simple. It's a prologue and epilogue, which is the beginning and the end of the book. And then everything falls in between in two parts, which would be the book of signs, chapter from 119 through 1250, and then the book of glory, which is all about the passion, the the suffering and the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. And then you get to the, the epilogue at the very end. Now, why did John write this gospel? Why did he write this gospel? Because already three had been written. John's was the last gospel to be written, and he was obviously aware of these other gospels. So why produce a gospel, another gospel? And, and I gave you the reason in just a, mo- a moment ago in John 20, these things are written that you might believe. And that really is the, the proposition for this, not only this passage, this message, but throughout the, the gospel as we study this gospel. So read along with me what we're going to study this morning. Last time we were together, it was in John 1 through 5. We talked about the deity of Christ and him being the eternal creator who began before the world began, who was always and is and eternal without beginning and end, the Alpha and the Omega, all things were made through him. He, in him was life and the life was the light of men. That was Verses 1 through 5, and this morning we're in 6 through 13. And read along with me. 
There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Father, thank you for giving us the Bible. And thank you for allowing us the ability to understand the Bible. And as we read these passages this morning, as we consider these passages this morning, as we study these passages this morning, we ask you to help us understand with insight and discernment what you are speaking to us. Lord, may every person here have a heart that is softened and willing to listen to you speak. Help them to do that, Lord. And I pray, pray that they would experience your rich blessing of grace as they spend time with you. And Father, please help me because I am aware of my inadequacy and my weakness in not only preaching, but preaching something so masterpiece as this book. Oh God, help this man serve the people he loves. Amen. <clears throat> it's interesting as you read, and I've asked you to read through the Gospel of John, and I would encourage you that as you're reading through it, just over the next 30 weeks or so as we are going through this Gospel, which is how long it will take, keep rereading the Gospel. You'll see themes and you'll discover uh, what, what God is saying to us in just these uh, verses from 6 through 13, there are so many words repeated, words that are themes throughout the entire gospel. So you're going to pick up on that. So you read that he came, there was, John came as a witness to bear witness. He was not the, the light, but came to bear witness. You see the word witness three times. You look at the word light. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which enlightens everyone. And then you see in verse 9, he was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. You see these repeated words over and over again. And when you see rep repetition in words in scripture, there's a point being made and God is drawing our attention to something. And so in this prologue, what is so amazing, just the first 18 verses, and we're taking three messages to go through 18 verses. In this prologue, you see these repetitive themes of light and life and truth and election and depravity and redemption and incarnation and the Trinity. In just 18 verses, you see basically most of systematic theology in 18 verses in the Gospel of John. Just 18 verses. 
And it, the simplicity of it is that, that John has written this, that the glory of God would be revealed in Christ. That the glory of God is revealed in Christ and the depravity of men is revealed, men who need a Savior. That's what you see in the prologue. You see the glory of God in Christ and you see the depravity of mankind in desperate need of a Savior. And in this, the verses that we're studying today in 6 through 13, John introduces us to the first time, really, the gospel. He, he explains the gospel in these verses this morning. And there are two main points in these verses that, that I believe John is showing us. The first one is why John the Baptist came. In other words, what is the aim of John's witness? And secondly, how should we respond to John's witness? What is the aim of John's witness? And how do we respond to John's witness? Look at, look at verse 6 through 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Now, get the... Get the, the thought here. In verses 1 through 5, we're talking about the eternal Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. We're talking about the creator of the universe. We're talking about the eternal Christ, the Christ, who, the gospel who began, who was, uh, who was there before the world began. We're talking about the eternal Savior, all things having been made through him. He's the life and the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness. And so here's this, this picture of this incredible Savior, eternal God, Jesus Christ. We get this picture of the Trinity in these first five verses, and we all of a sudden do an abrupt shift to there was a man. We go from there was this creator, this God, this Savior, this Trinity, to there was a man. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The introduction of John the Baptist in this gospel is abrupt. Now, when, when John in his gospel uses the name John, he's not referring ever to himself. He's always referring to John the Baptist. When John the apostle refers to himself, he always calls himself the gospel whom Jesus loved. Like I say, I'm the pastor whom Jesus loves. Why are you laughing? <laughs> so when we hear the name John, we're, we're being introduced to John the Baptist. And that the introduction about, of John the Baptist is abrupt. The apostle moves from this incredible description of Jesus to, to John. And I, you all know Bob Donahue. I heard Bob Donahue share something about this once. And so I wanted to read his. So I'm quoting Bob Donahue this morning. But don't tell him that when he's here. <laughs> don't want, I don't want Bob to know. <laughs> he said this about John the Baptist's introduction. He says, it's overwhelming enough to try and grasp the idea of the Trinity in the first two verses. 
Now our attention is drawn to the power of the word as he forms absolutely everything from supernovas to sand dollars. He creates gravity and falcons and lightning bolts and raspberries. John goes further still. The lofty, transcendent, almighty, brilliant view of Christ is contrasted with this. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the Baptist. He is a nomad wandering around the backside of the Judean wilderness, dressed in coarse hairs of a camel skins, filthy and unkempt. And he is boldly, prophetically renouncing the sin of his people and bearing witness to the light who is Jesus Christ incarnate. So we go from the radiant light, the purity and power of the eternal second person of the Trinity in verse 5 to a grimy, eccentric, religious radical eating locusts off the desert floor. That's what we have here. That's the abrupt transition. You've been introduced to Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, now you're introduced to this man. Now, now who is John? What do, we, what do we know about John the Baptist? Well, we know he's a man. He is a man because we're told there was a man. And he is a man with human frailties, human sins. And yet, Jesus states in Matthew 11 that there is no one who has ever been born that is greater on earth than John. So we have literally the greatest human being who ever lived up to this point right here. At least according to Jesus, he was the greatest man that ever lived. And he is in contrast to Jesus. He is sent by God. So what we know he is, he is, he's the Elijah. He's the forerunner preparing the way for Christ. He is the first prophet to speak in 400 years. The nation of Israel spent 400 years not hearing from God. He did not speak through any prophets for 400 years. Now, he was speaking through the Torah back then, the the words of Scripture, definitely. But he was not speaking through any prophets. God was silent. And he, in 400 years, waits. And then this is who he brings on the scene. An eccentric, locust-eating, camel-hair-wearing, wandering guy in the desert to speak. Now, we also know he is the starting point of Jesus' ministry. He was the agent God used to kick off the ministry of Jesus Christ. And he is bearing witness about the Christ. And I think what, was, what is most important to, to, say, to say here to help us understand who John is, is that he, is, he has come, he is sent by God, that in verse 7, that all might believe through him. That is... That is John the Apostle, the writer's purpose in this section is to understand that John the Baptist is sent to initiate the ministry of Jesus, to declare and reveal to the world who Jesus is so that you would believe. So that you would believe. 
In verse 6, John has been sent by God into the world. There was a man who was sent from God, and he has come into the world. He has sent, Jesus has come into the world. He has, he's been sent. And why does Jesus come into the world? Well, I mean, John makes it clear that, that the world does not know him, that they would know him. And how unique and perplexing that, that is that God sends a man in this situation. Why not angels? I mean, think about the birth of Christ. Shepherds are in the fields. Angels are appearing, talking, declaring. Now it's 30 years later, and he sends this guy to declare the Savior has come. I mean, get the, get the irony of this. God uses a blind sinner to reveal light. I mean, John, John is a, is a human. He was in as much of need of Savior as you and I. Now, he was filled with the Holy Spirit at birth. We know he's sent from God, but he's still human. He's still human. He still needed a Savior. And God uses, in a sense, because we're all blind before we come to Christ. We're all dead in our sins. We're all unable to see God. We're all unable to receive him. And so he sends a blind man to reveal light. And in verse 8, he tells us that he is not the light. And why does he say that? Why would people confuse a guy wearing camel skins and eating locusts and is filthy, unkept, and wandering in the desert? Why would people look at him and go, oh, there's the light? Well, the reason John makes this statement was that years later, after he had been beheaded and after Jesus had been crucified, years later in this time, as John is writing this gospel, which uh, it, it seems that he was in Ephesus at the time. He was a part of the Ephesian church in his later years prior to his being exiled to the island of Patmos, where he, he wrote uh, Revelation. He is writing this, and there is this group who have become disciples of John the Baptist who are now exalting John the Baptist and beginning to extend almost a worship towards John the Baptist. And so this is really a corrective comment here. John is not the light. Just because he came preaching repentance, just because he came as the agent to introduce Christ, just because he came telling you to repent of your sins, he's not the light. He's not the light. And then John shifts again. He shifts again from John, who, is, who came to be a witness, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Again, he was not the light, but then John, the, the apostle, writes about John the Baptist. He came to bear witness about the light. So we get through those two, three verses about who John is. And then in verse 9, there's another abrupt shift we move back to 
Jesus Christ. We start moving, we move away from the one who bears witness about Christ to the one who bears our sin. We move to the true light. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. So here we have a a repeat of the opening words. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him. And then John repeats it that the world was made through him. John's gospel is very simple in many respects. As we study this gospel, as you read this gospel, you're going to keep banging up against the same themes of light and creation, of life, the Trinity, the Spirit. You're just going to... It's just... It's the major themes. You're going to bang into them again and again. And remember, the aim of John's gospel is to reveal Jesus Christ. Why? Because the depravity of man has plunged the world in the darkness. When when John writes here four times in verses 9 and 10, he talks about the world. He's talking about the cosmos. He's talking about the world, the organized group of people that have rebelled against God. That is who John is speaking about. That's you and I. That is, that is us. When, when you read this, when you read the true light which enlightens everyone who's coming into the world, you should be saying, that's me. He was in the world, my world, and the world, I, was made through him, yet the world did not know him. I did not know him. He's speaking about us. Insert yourself into this passage of those who have been plunged into darkness. Remember your own darkened state prior to coming to Christ. How you mocked God. How you rejected God. I mocked God so much. I mean, just... And I and I don't I don't take pleasure in this thinking back about the ways I used to mock God. I remember watching. Oh, this is back in the seventies uh, when televisions had tubes, and uh, you had to change the channel by turning the the dial. And uh, I'd watch, I'd turn it on, and I'd you know flipping channels as you're sitting there going bump bump bump, and I'd come across a religious channel. And my buddies and I would be watching. And so we'd make phone calls to these religious statements, these places saying we were healed and, you know, giving false testimony and, and laughing all about it. And we would laugh. But we were mocking God. And verse 10 tells us he was in the world and the world was made through him. And these are the most indicting words. Yet the world did not know him. Think about that. The world did not know him. 
the light of the world comes into the world and nobody sees. The world did not know him. Understand why John's writing his gospel. So that people would understand who the Christ is. Why he came. And he comes into, it's like, it, it would be as though a, you bring the brightest light into a darkened room and everybody in the room still thinks the room is dark. And the only, the only way that could possibly happen is if somebody's blind. And that's what John is saying here. The darkness of men is so great that when the light of the world comes into the darkness, nobody sees. But more than recognizing the light, look at verse 11. It's not, it's not that they just don't know him. Look at verse 11. He came to his own. And his own people did not receive him. John is, the Baptist is bearing witness to the light He's proclaiming forgiveness if you repent of your sins. He's talking about the light of the world coming into the darkness, the creator of the universe. And people, not only do they not know him, they do not receive him. They reject him. And it is in this passage right here, I think John underscores the depravity of mankind. He paints the picture of you and me as definitely sinful, depraved people. Now, John the Baptist, when he was out preaching, he offended many people. He offended them by telling them the truth. That they were broods of vipers. That they were sinners in need of a Savior. And John is doing the same. John the Apostle, John the writer, is doing the same thing here. Telling people, and here, understand the witness. John came as a witness to bear witness. He came as a witness. His life was a witness to bear witness. And he told people hard things. And that is what we're called to do. People don't like to hear hard things. Especially in our day and age, to use the word sin is so politically incorrect. There's a story, a woman got on a bus holding a baby. The bus driver said, that's the ugliest baby I've ever seen. In a huff, the woman slammed her fare into the fare box and took an aisle seat near the rear of the bus. The man seated next to her sensed she was agitated and asked her what was wrong. The bus driver insulted me, she fumed. The man sympathized and said, why, he's a public servant and he shouldn't say things to insult passengers. You're right, she said. I think I'll go up there and give him a piece of my mind. That's a good idea, said the man. Here, let me hold your monkey. <laughs> It's really hard to be told you're ugly. 
But that's exactly what John does. That's exactly what he does. He makes a serious point here. The ugliness of sin is so bad. It causes the death of Christ. The ugliness of sin is so bad, it makes people blind. The ugliness of sin is so bad that they deserve the wrath of God. And here, the people of Israel who Jesus came to, it says he he came to his own and his own people did not, again, there's that re- repetition. He came to his own, to the, to the nation of Israel, to the people of Israel, his very own. Even his own family thought he was crazy and did not accept him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. They would, they would not accept him as the Savior. They, they had the law. They had the prophets. They had prophecies. They even had John the Baptist, and yet they would still not receive him. That is the ugliness of sin. And the hard truth for us is that we are no different than his own. We are no different than the Jewish people he came to. Jesus was rejected by all of us. And our depravity has blinded us all to him. And let me say this. If you are sitting here this morning wondering where you are spiritually, if you have not received Christ, if you have not done what uh, John says here, believe in his name that you might have life. You are under the wrath of God. That is a hard thing to hear. You are under the punishment of God. And the, the words of John are that you might read this book this morning so that you would believe in his name. If you are not a Christian, if you have not put your faith and trust in Christ, let me appeal to you to do that today. Respond to the gospel. The aim, the first point is the aim of John's gospel. The aim of John's witness, John the Baptist's witness, is that we would know Jesus. But then there's a second point, is that we need to respond to the witness. We need to respond to John's witness about who Christ is. Look at verse 12. But to to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Verse 12 is the free offer of the gospel. We, we, we see the gospel a little bit earlier in verse 9 where John writes, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. That's the gospel. That's the beginning of the gospel, the incarnation. Jesus is coming into the world. But here we have this offer, this free offer of the gospel, but to all who did receive him, to all who will receive him, he gives the right to become children of God. The world's hatred and rejection of God 
wonderfully never frustrates or overrules the plan of salvation. Even in encountering those who were his own, not receiving him, those who, who heard of him and yet did not know him, it says here, still, for those who did receive them, who believed in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. God works in our hearts that we might respond. I, I'll never forget the night I was converted. I was in a friend's mustard yellow 1970 Datsun B210 outside of a Bob's Big Boy. Now, some of us know what Bob's Big Boy is. Are there any Bob's Big Boys around here? Oh, right. Okay, and you know what a hot fudge cake is. Yes, Bob's Big Boy had hot fudge cake. And I was sitting in Steve's car, and we were going to go into Bob's Big Boy, and we were going to meet a group of people, and all I was thinking about was this hot fudge cake I wanted. And, and, and Steve's got his Bible out. It's like, really? There's like hot fudge cake waiting. And, and you, want, you want to do this now? And, and, and he opened the Bible, and he turned to the Gospel of John. And he must have read two or three verses. And I could care less about hot fudge cake because I had become a Christian. The plans of God, the plan of salvation is never frustrated. It's never overruled by the rejection of men. It's never... It's never overruled by our sinfulness. But he, he goes on. Look, look at verse 13. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In other words, this free offer of salvation, you can be born again. Rebirth is offered to you, and it is not a work that you have to accomplish. Here, here's where we begin to see, and John will repeat this theme throughout, the doctrine of election. That God chose you, you didn't choose him. That Ephesians 1.4 that we studied recently, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That, that God in his wisdom and love chose you to be born again before the world was ever created. You were in the mind of God that you would be a child of God before you, this world, this air, the seas were ever created. You were, you were going to be a child of God. And, and John, the writer, makes it clear here that those who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. There's no human system. There's no human who could accomplish this, but of God. And what God begins, God finishes. And we can take comfort and rest in this truth that God in his authority is preeminent and that nothing, nothing can stop the purpose and plans of God. 
And the only thing that we can do is to respond. Because in verse 12, it says, But to all who did receive him, to all who believed in his name, there is a response that we have to make in response to, in, to God's offer of salvation. So how do we... This is narrative. It's a, it's a story. John's telling... John the author, the writer, is telling the story and he's talking about John the Baptist and he's talking about Jesus. How, what do we learn from this story? There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light. The true light. Now that, that word true means true versus counterfeit. The true light. And, and the word light there is the word phos, where we get phosphorus from, which means the essence of light. When, when later on you'll see that he talks about we are the light of the world. That, that talks about the word luknos, which means lamp. So get essence versus lamp. We're, we're lamps. He's the essence of light. You get it? You're just a little lamp. This little light of mine's going to shine, okay? But he's the essence of light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So what, do we, what does this say to us? Well, let me, two, two, I think, application points we can learn from John's story from the aim of his story. The first is, we are to be witnesses for Christ. John the Baptist is not the only one. He was a forerunner, not only of Jesus' coming, but I believe he was a forerunner of all of us being witnesses for Christ. This word witness is where we get the word martyr from. The Greek word martyr witnesses who stand for Christ. We are to be witnesses to those around us. And we have been called by Jesus to go into all the world, to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. We are called to take a stand and tell the truth about who Jesus is. We are to be witnesses. And secondly, I believe we are to respond with thankfulness. The, this, the one phrase at the very end of this passage, verse 13, but of God. We were born not of blood, not of will, not of flesh, but of God. And I think if you read Ephesians 1, the first 14 verses, that is Paul's doxology. It's his hymn 
or song of praise about all that God has done in creating the world, in saving mankind, in choosing us before the world began. And here we know that that is the same thing. And and Paul is responding to this, this experience of being saved by Christ to praising. And that is what we do here, that we did receive him. He did give us the right to become children of God. And because it was not of our blood or the will of our flesh nor the will of man, but it was of God that we were saved, we should respond with praise. We are to be witnesses. And we're to respond with praise. What an amazing story. And the only response is to believe and to worship. The worship team would come forward. Let me pray. The aim of John's witness of Christ is that sinful men might come to believe in him. And the response to John's witness of Christ is to receive Jesus and to worship him. Father, thank you for sending Jesus Christ. Lord, it is hard for human minds to fathom God becoming flesh. It is hard for human minds to grasp this idea that pure light, the essence, the light that is so bright and powerful, more powerful than any sun, came to earth and veiled much of that light, but gave us enough to see. Lord, what a miracle and what a mystery. Lord, as we, as we close this morning, may the mystery of Christ, may it, may it cause our hearts to soar in worship and to express our love towards you. In Jesus' name, amen.